to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a Sports Ethos production. I'm your host, Candace Hagens. And as always, it's a pleasure and a privilege to talk Hawks with you today. We got our first sample of actual Seahawks football last Saturday, and I couldn't get enough. I'll tell you, I enjoyed every moment of watching NFL football. It pretty much consumed my whole weekend. I don't know about you guys, but that that's what it looked like for me. But anyway, there was a lot to take away from the performances of both Drew Locke and Geno Smith. So we're going to get into the game breakdown, all of the takeaways that I had for the game. I'm not going to get into too much in depth on a summary. It's a few days have passed and there's a lot more news to report. We're going to get into some breaking news as well as just sort of do a little quick preview for what we can expect in the upcoming game. So obviously there is a lot to cover and break down. So let's get started and talk some Hawks. Let's get into our breaking news. Quarterback Drew Locke has just been reported to be positive with COVID-19. This comes as unfortunate news after Pete Carroll had just announced during practice that that Drew Locke would be the starter for the preseason game against the Chicago Bears. He also took his first reps with the first team for the first time in training camp. This is extremely unfortunate for Drew Locke as it effectively ends, in my opinion, the quarterback competition without him having a real opportunity to prove himself in this critical preseason game. It will be interesting to see how the Seahawks handle this quarterback battle moving forward now. Drew Locke needs significant snaps with the first team reps. He's been behind all training camp and at this point when they were going to give him an opportunity to be ahead and and show himself on equal playing ground, that opportunity has been taken away from him. Will the Seahawks give him opportunities, find opportunities for Drew Locke to be able to compete so that this still can be called a competition? I don't know, but they've got some decisions to make, certainly. Drew Locke does have the opportunity to come back and play for the final preseason game. The NFL mandates that you not be around the team for five days. And if Drew Locke can test negative, he will be able to come back and participate in practice on Sunday. But it is a huge hit to Locke, who has a lot to prove still, as Pete Carroll considers Geno Smith to still be quarterback one. In other news, it was recently announced that Ken Walker III has suffered a sports hernia. Pete Carroll did not have any information on how long he would be out, but generally sports hernias require surgery and will have a player out for a minimum of four to six weeks. After that, it'll have to be reevaluated. It could be more depending on the type of sports hernia. More information will be coming on that soon, but that's unfortunate news for a promising young rookie. Hopefully he can come back and be able to be healthy and stay healthy. Wishing all the best for him and, and hoping for a speedy recovery. And finally, the Seattle Seahawks made a trade. That's right, they traded safety Ugo Imadi for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Now, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is known mostly for not being D.K. Metcalf. The Philadelphia Eagles drafted him seven spots ahead of D.K. Metcalf, and ultimately D.K. Metcalf became the superstar that he is in this league, and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside did not. Now, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside will get a fresh opportunity as We mentioned before, the wide receiver room is a little bit thin, and it's even thinner now that wide receiver Cody Thompson has been put on IR. So the wide receiver room is getting really thin. They need another body. 
I don't think they're going to use him in tight end. They pretty much, that position is pretty much filled. That, that he wouldn't make the roster if he were to be used as a tight end, I don't think. But I think they plan to use him as a run blocker primarily. They're, they're going to see what he has at wide receiver, of course. But I think they really see him as being able to be a good run blocker. Sometimes he's been better than Will Disley, according to PFF at times. So maybe he'll have some upside there. I just don't think he's that good of a catch. He's got a career 45% catch radius. That is, or catch percentage rather. That's obviously terrible for a wide receiver. He does not have good hands. And so I don't even know if he'll make this roster, but it's an interesting move. I think it's a good move for the Seattle Seahawks too. Try to take somebody who they had announced previously they were going to cut anyway. They were going to cut Ugo. Ugo has been getting third, fourth, third string snaps all offseason. He only he did he only played in the fourth quarter in the preseason game, which says a lot about where they saw him. I just don't think they have a use for him in this scheme. Mostly, I think it's because Ugo is a more of a zone corner back or safety. He's great at disguising zone. He's really not that good at man-to-man, and that was proven last year when he was asked to do more um, man coverage type of type of things. That's not his game. And so between that and Justin Coleman being on the roster, and they've also been giving Kobe Bryant some snaps, so there, I think they're interested to see if he can play nickel. you got Marquise Blair there. There's just so much competition, and we talked about before in a previous podcast about how competitive that spot was somebody was going to get cut it's only a matter of time I thought it might have been Marquise Blair but it seems like Marquise Blair has more upside in terms of being able to play man coverage and so they opted to get rid of Ugo Amadi understandably I think it like I said all in all it's a good move for the Seahawks really happy they could get some value we'll see what JJ Arcega Whiteside becomes but that concludes your breaking news for the Seattle Seahawks Now, let's get into my takeaways from the first preseason game. Geno Locke started off as a quarterback starter, and he threw 11 for 15 for a 66 completion ratio. He also threw for 101 yards and had no touchdowns. Drew Locke played the second half, and he threw 11 for 15 with a 77, 73% percent completion rating. And he threw for 102 yards with two touchdowns and a sack fumble at the end of the game. This was a really interesting battle. And I, a lot of people walked away feeling like Drew Locke was the clear, better quarterback. I think it depends on how you define better. That's really the question. If you're talking about who had the most upside, who had the most dynamic offense or had the offense looking more dynamic if you're going to talk about who was the most fun I think that's hands down it's going to be Drew Locke that's that's not even a question but if you're talking about who made the best decisions who honestly I I think showed the most poise well actually never mind I get poised Drew Locke but in terms of who managed the game the best who made the best decision and who actually had the best plays like best deep balls I know Drew Locks looked more exciting but actually PFF grades Geno Smith as having the only big time throws of the game he had two big time throws they did not lead to touchdowns 
But honestly, he made a couple of really impressive throws in this game, and PFF seems to agree. Now, Drew Locke looked impressive as well. He was able to push the ball down the field. I think he did that well. But I think his critical mistake was the thing that is always his mistake. When it comes down to critical moments in the game, Drew Locke is more mistake prone, more likely for mental errors. He just doesn't seem to pay attention to the small things. They get overlooked. So, for example, the reason why the sack fumble happened, for a lot of you guys, if you were to watch the game, you'd think, well, the O-line messed that up. What's important to understand is there was an unaccounted for rusher on the edge, and that's one of the easiest adjustments, pre-snap adjustments that a quarterback can make. It's important for that quarterback to make that pre-snap adjustment on the offensive line to get somebody, make sure that that free rusher is accounted for. That's so important. Like I said, it's just a basic fundamental. And even if he does not uh, rearrange the protections on the offensive line, it's important for him to pay attention to the fact that there is an unaccounted rusher. And then he can make the check down to the to the, to the the running back. And that play did allow for that. The, quarter, the running back was free for a quick release if he would have just paid attention to it. But he did not pay attention to the details. And as a result, he got blitzed, basically, by that free side rusher. And that comes down to Drew Locke. I know you guys, some of you guys really do think that's on the O-line. It's not. While the center can help with with offensive line production or protections, the center doesn't have the same view that the quarterback has. It really falls on him to make sure that the O-line is properly protecting him. Sometimes Russell was not that good at that, understanding where the blitz was coming from. He was good at you know, assessing some, he wouldn't have made that type of error, that simple of an error. But even he was not good at diagnosing pre-snap adjustments. It's some, of the, it's some of the reason why he got sacked. It does come back down to the quarterback, guys. And he's going to learn. He's going to make mistakes. Geno made mistakes. He has made mistakes, too. I mean, neither, neither of these guys are going to be world beaters. They're not expecting either of them to be, or I don't think you should be expecting either of them to be world beaters. I think he learned a valuable lesson there. The question is, can he build off of that and avoid those kind of mistakes in the future? Now, it is unfortunate for him that, as we mentioned earlier, he has now been diagnosed with being tested positive for COVID-19, which means he will not really be able to... I think he loses momentum. I mean, I'm sure he's going to start in week three, but he does lose momentum. A lot of people were wondering how he was going to bounce back from ending the game like that. And that's a really important question. How does he bounce back? I don't think it's a question he's going to really be able to answer for us without he's going to have some serious question marks. And so I think Gino personally, depending on what you were looking at, Gino played a better, more effective game. So I would grade Gino a B plus. There were some errors with Gino, though. Gino did not play a perfect game. Sometimes I thought he held on to the ball too long and he left some plays out on the board because of it. It wasn't a constant issue, but it was an issue. And because of that, especially early on, he was not able to get the offense going. That's the problem with Gino. He's going to play it too safe. Drew's going to play it way too, <laughs> way too aggressive at times. It's more fun. To watch Drew Locke, but coaches, guys, you have to keep in mind when you're talking about what's important to the coaches, mental errors are an absolute no-no. 
Coaches do not tolerate mental errors because it, it signifies a lack of mental discipline. And football is a mental game. You're not going to get a lot of reps if you lack mental discipline. Now, if you're not physically able or sometimes you just, you know, sometimes things are going to happen in football that you don't have control over. If Drew Locke threw an interception that bounced off somebody's hands, you wouldn't hear anything from me nor Pete Carroll about it. But because it was a mental error, that's going to ding him harder than you guys think. It may just seem like, oh, it's just the interception in you. But it's a big deal to Coach Carroll. And so he did himself no favors. He was already QB2 in Pete's mind. And he isn't going to have the opportunity to really show himself to be QB1 in the few opportunities that he has gotten. He hasn't shown enough to convince, I think, Coach Carroll for what he's looking for. Because while the fan base may be able to tolerate the interceptions that come along with the flashy touchdowns, Pete Carroll cannot. He is not going to tolerate an interception per game. There's no way. (laughs) There's no way, Pete Carroll, even if Drew only had one interception per game, that would be a no-no in his eyes, and Drew would not be able to keep the starting spot. So I grade Drew Locke a C plus because I do think he has some flashes and I think his first two drives were incredible. It's actually unfortunate that he ended up ending the game the way he did. And I want to say that I'm giving him a C, not just because of the sack fumble alone. I also saw him overthrow a player by a mile and in a, in an opportunity where he had to get some points on the board. Um, he also overthrew somebody by a mile and almost got it intercepted intercepted and so there were some real errant wild throws and even some of the throws that he made that I think were were catches that were a little risky to me a little controversial you know they weren't bad throws but they were edging on the side of aggression there and it worked out for him for me I know if you're just looking at game film it's gonna seem like Drew Blue Geno out of the water, but if you pay attention to a lot of the things that went well for Drew Locke, his receivers got a lot of yak yards. To be honest, he did not have any like good deep throws, really. There weren't a lot of those. He wasn't very effective when he threw it, even medium, even 10 to 19 yards. In fact, he only completed 33% of his passes when he threw a medium, 0% of his passes when he threw a deep. His average depth of target was only 4.9 yards compared to Geno's 5.6. And Drew Locke was significantly worse when he was under pressure, 33% versus Geno's 50%. And so watching Geno play, it's boring. I mean, I'm just going to be honest, even for me. Somebody who thought Geno would start and probably in the beginning of the season thought Geno should start. It's like watching paint dry. It's really not that fun. I just, I think, I think that's undeniable. Drew Locke is much more fun, but I just don't think he's Pete Carroll's kind of quarterback. Now, if this was a different coach, which I know some of you guys wish it was, and if this was a different coach who cared more about upside, perhaps Drew Locke would have a chance, but I just don't know how much of a chance he's going to get. And he's got to do better in opportunities that he gets, especially down the stretch of this offseason. Now, I will say Even though it's unfortunate for Drew Locke, it's my hope that Pete Carroll will go above and beyond and give Drew Locke a chance now that he's 
going down with COVID-19 because it's it's really not fair, especially how they slow played this competition. They could have gotten Drew Locke first team reps long before now. So maybe they'll do something. Maybe they will give Drew Locke uh, the start week one just to see how he does. You know, I threw this out on, on Twitter, but I would be interested in seeing what both of them would look like in week one. Just, you know, carry it out, carry out the competition through week one to some extent, because, you know, I know generally that's not what people do in football. It's not something you see very often, but sometimes desperate times call for desperate measures. And I think when they make the quarterback decision, it's something that they should be sure of. It's something that they should keep for half the season. And nobody's going to feel like Geno really earned this starting spot because his competition pretty much got wiped out with COVID. It'd be different if Geno had just been chosen and they and, and Drew Locke could have started in week two and then they could have decided off of week one and week two who was our week three. That would be fair. Now it's not fair. And like I said, I can see Pete Carroll potentially finding some way to overcompensate and giving Drew Locke some extra chances or he'll if, even if he does get an opportunity. I think we'll see both quarterbacks this season. I'll be honest. I'd be surprised if we went the whole season with just one of these guys. They're both so opposite end of the spectrum that at some point you're going to get tired of one and want the other. The question is, what is the order with which this go? And, and yeah, it's really more of a question of how does the order of this go more than it is anything else. So it's something to continue to monitor, but I, I think Gino played better from a coaching perspective, though I know Drew was far more entertaining player but I'll be honest what was most exciting and my biggest takeaway was how great our rookies looked first of all the offensive line was absolutely outstanding and I know it's just a preseason game but the Seattle Seahawks offensive line ranked number one in the NFL out of all the preseason week one And I know you could say it's just preseason, it's not significant, and maybe it's not, but it it, it really goes to show the floor, I think. If they can be number one in preseason, perhaps they can be top 15 in the regular season, and they're going to have their ups and downs, and we'll have to see how they perform in preseason week two. It's still early, even even in the preseason, but it is an extremely promising sign. They were number one in pass number five in the in the run game to me that shows balance and it was a question you guys know I had questions about particularly Abe Lucas ability to run block I didn't know if he'd be able to do it this fast I thought maybe by the middle of the year he would be able to run block better and maybe he would get we would see him start more often you know after week 10 something like that last seven weeks of the season But to see him show this promise, if you haven't taken a look already, you need to go to the Seattle Seahawks uh, Twitter page and look at that video of Abe Lucas absolutely pancaking somebody. Just dominant. A dominant performance from Abe Lucas, who earned a 82.4 PFF grade. Charles Cross, who earned a 72.2 overall grade and didn't allow a pressure on any of his rushes. I mean, just incredible stuff for all of the years that the Seattle Seahawks have had a bad reputation for the offensive line. This is some of the most exciting news that you could get 
as a Seattle fan. Seattle's never been known as having a good offensive line. And at least for the preseason, for the first week, we are at not only having a good O-line, but an excellent O-line. And we'll see how indicative it is of things to come. But I'm sure excited about it. Other players that I thought stood out, Boye Mafe was absolutely dominant, earning himself a 84.6 PFF grade, pass rush grade of 86.6. Boye Mafe was just feasting. And I didn't think that he would shine this much in preseason. It is preseason, and so there's a question about that. He'll be going against, you know, better offensive lines next time. But especially if they're just going to use him as a rotational rusher, I think that is indicative of, of, you know, I think you can really be excited from what you see from Boye Mafe because if he's going to be rotational, if he's not starting, then he, you know, I think he's got a chance. You know, I think he's got a chance to really show and transfer what he's done in the preseason over to the regular season. It might not be as effective where he might have some games where he'll run into some tough matchups. He may run into some elite, you know, the Trent Williams of the world, the elite uh, pat, uh, left, t- left tackles, and maybe he won't be able to be so dominant. But you love to see that flash. You love to see his growth. I think he's a real power rusher. I love the, the power and the speed that I saw him rush with. So really excited to see his growth. I also love that Pete Carroll's talked about how they're only going to have him focus on the pass rush. He's not doing a lot of drop backing right now. He's just going to get comfortable with rushing. And that's exactly the thing that I think they should do with him. Ease him into the rest of his role. Just let him come off the edge, pin his ears back, and get after the quarterback. It's exactly what you want to see from Boye Mafe. And Ken Walker Jr., I'm oh, sorry, Ken Walker III, he had an okay game. PFF did not grade him well. He only, he actually had the least amount of rushing yards. DJ Dallas, Travis Homer had much more explosive runs. He did not. But I, I wasn't really concerned. I, I liked what I saw from him. I think his statistics ended up being hindered by some of the play calling to some extent. There were times where they would rush Ken Walker III three times in a row. A very predictable play call. It's just you hate to see that, by the way, from Shane Waldron. Just that that predicted three three runs in a row. Really, I mean, of course he wouldn't get the third and one. I mean, they knew exactly what was coming. So he lost yards because of that. And I'm not going to I'm not going to blame Kim Walker the third for that. Sometimes I just feel like he wasn't put in the best position. And I know with him and Penny being like a run to punch, assuming Penny, you know, can when it is healthy at the same time as Ken Walker the third, then that wouldn't be as much of an issue anyway. So I'm not too worried about it. I liked what I saw from him. I thought he took advantage of the opportunities he got. He was able to get, I think about four or five yards per run on average. Like I said, it was just, his average was just brought down some by, you know, just, just play calling and it being predictable him being pushed back for no fault of his own. I also feel like the other running backs, they took it. They took advantage of playing against some real third string, fourth string, you know, guys. Like they were just playing against the bottom of the Steelers bench, and so they got a lot of yak yards, which is great, and it made them look good. And you always love to see that. But I just feel like he was more busted coverages that they got the chance taken advantage of. That Cam Walker just he didn't. So 
I was still happy with what I saw. I'm not concerned. I know some people are concerned. But one thing that was interesting about Ken Walker, even if you were concerned about what you saw from him from a playmaking aspect, one of his biggest weaknesses was considered his pass blocking. And Pete Curls talked about how much he's improved with that. Well, he showed it in this game, in this preseason game, earning a 74.3 pass block grade. Um, that was That's excellent, especially for a rookie in his first outing. That is extremely positive. So he also earned a 73 in receiving yards. And so maybe Ken Walker's just, you know, more of a receiving threat in the Seahawks, at least based off preseason and based off the training camp reports we've heard seem to be willing to give him those opportunities. So that's something to look for. Maybe running between the tackles, he can run between the tackles, but maybe he'll be more dynamic as a receiving threat. It seems like that's possible. I'm okay with that. Once again, just hoping he can come back healthy, come back uh, just athletic. For those of you guys who weren't happy with your performance, maybe the hernia has something to do with him not being able to have more burst, more explosion. You just, you, you never know. Either way, I'm happy, but it's possible that that should be considered. You saw some flashes from Dariq Young and Bo Melton. You saw some ups and downs. These are, you know, seventh round guys, you know, bottom of the draft kind of guys. And so for the upside that they gave, I think it's great. Personally, D. Eskridge, you better be careful. Because one of these guys can easily overtake him. Particularly, Dariq Young seems to be taking on pretty well. And so, D. Eskridge, he's got to get on that field soon. Or he's going to see some he see himself being passed by some of these guys. As for the defense, it was abysmal. The defense was rough. Um, Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen started on the outside and they made, they definitely took their lumps. They had their welcome to the NFL moment for sure. Uh, Tariq Young, Tariq Woolen had a busted coverage, allowed a touchdown because everybody else was playing man. I think he was playing zone and it, everybody else was playing man. He just missed it completely wide open touchdown. I did see some plays I liked from him. I think Tariq was always in position. He's just got to learn some things like, you know, making sure he get his, gets his head turned around, um, you know, just maybe some techniques-wise. But I liked his positioning, and that's some that's one thing you want to pay attention to. He at no point looked overmatched. I think he's just got to get – he just got to get those reps. He's just got to get the experience. He'll get better. And he did not grade well on PFF, 35.6 on PFF. They did not like his coverage, but – I like just from a rookie standpoint, I think a lot of his things were fixable. Tackling was a huge issue, not just for him and Kobe Bryant, but for the entire team. It was a rough outing. In fact, I think that this game could have gone a lot differently, a lot differently, had defenders been able to make tackles. If they would have been able to make the initial tackles, some of these explosive, so so many explosive plays just wouldn't have happened. They were just... Explosive plays that happened because somebody missed a tackle and there was just this wide open gap in the field that would give them this huge field advantage. Without that, I think I like I like what I saw from a scheme perspective. I like what I saw from a positioning perspective. There wasn't a lot of the somebody's wide open in, in the flat and there's about five yards before somebody comes down, a cornerback comes down and makes a tackle. There was no more of that. That's exactly the kind of thing you want to see. It looked like a more aggressive type of coverage, 
It's going to be important for the pass rush to truly flash. It's going to be important for tackling. And I think our linebackers will be a liability. It's inevitable. Cody Cody Barton was a concern, (laughs) to say the least. Cody Barton did not really show that he's a starter. To me, I just think he's a rotational guy who they got, who they have starting. I don't even know if he's at this point, if he can get any better. He's in his fourth year, for goodness sakes. But especially in the run game, he is an, a true liability. I, I fear that they're going to they're gonna just pick on him in the run game. But back to the defense as a whole. If they can get the tackling under control, if we can have a good pass rush in those you know, corners. Well, one, it'll be Sidney Jones and Artie Burns at the corners, the veteran guys. So that'll help. But even when you have Tariq Woolen or Kobe Bryant getting snaps, I think just their positioning, being there to battle for the ball, is 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 good progress. That's what you want to see from them. And like I said, as the season goes on, you'll see them be able to make plays. That'll come. But they didn't look overmatched. They did look like they belong. They just looked a little lost. And you can expect that. It's understandable. And I think the guys were a little nervous too. So even though they did not have a good showing, Kobe Bryant – he, he he didn't have he didn't have a lot of mental errors. His main thing was he allowed a touch a tough catch uh, by George Pickett. He allowed a touchdown in that touchdown. It was just simple as Kobe getting his head back. If he had to turn his head back to make a, to try to even attempt to make a play on the ball, I don't think George Pickens get, catches that tough of a ball. But it's just one of those things you learn as you get the reps. It becomes natural to get your head back. He'll be fine. I really, despite the poor outing, I don't have any real concerns about those guys and where they're going. That's exactly what you'd expect from starting two rookies in a preseason game. So no worries there. But I would be remiss if I did not mention Daryl Taylor. Daryl Taylor shows some real flashes. Now, he has got to learn how to finish his tackles, and that was an issue for him last year. He was able to make plays, but he wasn't able to finish them. I, I really would like to see for him to get better in that regard, but you can see what everybody's been talking about in training camp, his explosion off the edge. Uh, he just pops to me. He pops on the field, and I think he will be disruptive. If nothing else, he'll be disruptive. But what the difference will be for him is his ability to finish the play. That'll be the difference, in my opinion, between him being a 10 to 10 to 12 sack guy and a 14 to 16 type sack guy. Because I I think he's got that ceiling. It's just a matter of can he polish enough? Can he just be consistent enough in his techniques and in his tackling to be able to get the official sacks? But I liked what I saw from him. He's still a young player. This is essentially his second year. And so I think he was, I think it was a positive seeing him as well. So for our young players, I think it was an excellent start. I only really had questions in terms of young players about uh, I think Kobe Parkinson. I, I I'm really not sure what he's gonna become. He had a couple of really good opportunities to get some catches and he just couldn't hang on. I mean, it wasn't always his fault, especially on it. He had an opportunity for Drew Locke. Uh, Drew Locke threw a ball to him. And I think if he would have caught the ball sooner, he would have been able to hold on to the ball when he was sandwiched between two, you know, two defenders. He ended up being tackled from two sides and he lost the ball. I understand 
to some extent. It, it wasn't the easiest ball in the world to catch, but if you're going to be a tight end, particularly a red zone threat, those are the kind of things that you got you to be able to do. You got to be able to make some tough catches. You're a big guy in the, in the, in the red zone. That's what that looks like. And so it is just preseason, and he's missed a lot of time as well. So it's not like he had a ton of snaps and reps his rookie year. So those are some things I hope he cleans up. But I think it's gotta, it's, he's got to be able to show impact in that way. Um, they're definitely giving him the targets, at least in this training camp and preseason. He's got to be able to take advantage of them. Other than that, though, I loved what I saw from everybody. I, I want to give Alton Robinson a quick shout out. He seemed like he flashed as well. He played well. Loved what I saw from Phil Haynes, who looks like he could very well be a starter. I really wish the team would start him. Seriously. Over Gabe Jackson. I just think he's earned it at this point. He's played superior. He had a 90 PFF grade. Absolutely superior. Gabe Jackson didn't get in a 90. And he's not even close to getting a 90. I know he's a veteran presence on an offensive line that's full of young rookies. But my hope is that they plan on just playing Gabe Jackson to start the first few weeks. Kind of like how I was thinking things would go with Abe Lucas. And as the, as the year goes on, they eventually get those snaps to Phil Haynes, who I think they could bring back on a fairly cost-effective uh, sort of prove-it year, just in terms of his health with his tendency to get hurt have him on a prove-it type of contract for a couple years maybe, and just see what he can do because this kid can play. He's talented. He, he really is, and I think he's done everything to everything. He's done everything right to earn the starting position. So I just hope that this is just them wanting with, with two rookie tackles to make sure that there's a veteran on the offensive line and as the two rookie tackles look more comfortable, they're going to go ahead and put in Phil Haynes. That's my hope. That's my hope for him. Because I think he's earned it at this point. And finally, I would be remiss not to mention how strong of a game Stone Forsythe had. Particularly from a run blocking perspective. He was top five in his grade for run blocking. He graded out at a 77.5. He also graded top five in pass blocking at an 84 PFF grade. That's incredible for Stone Forsyth, who was a six-round pick, and nobody was really sure if he would develop into much, but he's shown great promise. Now, it's important to mention that Stone Forsyth went against the absolute bottom of the bench, and he did not get a lot of snaps, but it is good to know that he seems like he can be a dependable, reliable rotation player, if nothing else, and so that's promising that he's going to, if you can get a six-round pick to be a meaningful contributor in any sort of way, that's a win. That's an absolute win. So great to see that from Stone Forsyth as well. So that's my takeaways from the last game. And we got a quick turnaround here with the Seahawks playing another preseason game on Thursday against Chicago Bears. It'll be a home game for the Seattle Seahawks. And I'm I'm interested to see how this goes, how they play this. My guess is that Geno plays the first half and we see a whole lot of Jacob Eason with Drew Locke being out. So I'm not sure how much we're really going to be able to take away from this game. I think the most important thing to pay attention to is the defense and see if they're better with the tackling that has got to improve quickly. So 
I think there'll be more to watch on defense in this upcoming game than there will be on offense. Of course, you're going to still get to see the rookies play. You know, you'll see how they how they will do. See if Derek Young and Bo Melton can make some more plays. See if Kobe Parkinson can take more advantage of his opportunities. Those are questions I have going into that game. I don't really have any questions about Gino at this point. I am curious to see, if anything, I guess I'm curious to see if he'll be a little bit more intentional about pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. You did see him do that a couple of times in the last game. Will he be able to do that, you know, just one or two more times? Just get to the point where he's not leaving plays on the field. We'll see. That's something to watch for. But like I said, mostly it's the defense. How do the cornerbacks do? Do you see progress from them? How does the pass rush look? How does Mafe look? Robinson. Just some of the young players that we're watching for. That That's really what I think any Seahawks fan should care about at this point. Because I, while the rookie, while, while the quarterback conversation, excuse me, while the quarterback conversation is going to take up a lot of debate in space, I don't really think it matters what either one of these quarterbacks have done. I've said that before. These guys are placeholders. They've shown their placeholders. This is just to hold us over. They're just a bridge to get us to, hopefully, the franchise quarterback of our future that is currently in college. And the best case scenario is that some of these rookies from this past class have popped and will come in in year two, ready to work, and hopefully able to be as strong contributors to a good team this upcoming NFL season. Well, guys, that's all that we have time for today. Excited to give you my game takeaways from game two of the preseason against the Chicago Bears. We'll give my thoughts. We'll go under the radar. We'll look at things from every angle, as we always do. Hopefully, we have some updates on the status of Drew Locke and Ken Walker III. In the meantime, you can give me a follow on Twitter. You can find me at Candace H901. That's at Candace H901. Also, be sure to make sure you're following the page, Ethos Seahawks, at Ethos Seahawks. Make sure to give us a like, a follow, share this podcast with others who you know enjoy football content. That's it. I'm out. And as always, go Hawks.